My next guest joining us all the way from New Zealand is Dr. Richard Bolstad. Richard has such a long list of credentials and accomplishments and books that he's written. I just don't have time. So let's just bring him out, Dr. Richard Bolstad. You are listening to the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast, a show devoted to uncovering the systems and the secrets that set the best apart, where you learn how to take your coaching clients to the next level, while you grow the coaching practice of your dreams. So sit back and relax, or sit up and get excited. Either way, you might want to pay attention. This could be important. Richard Bolstad, it's so nice to meet you. Should I call you Dr. Richard Bolstad? <laughs> no, just Richard is good. Thank, <laughs> thank you, Doug. Good to, good to meet you as well. <laughs> it's great. It's been long overdue. And you are, a, you are a doctor. One of the things I very much admire about you is that you are you don't take any shortcuts and things. You you have a long list of accomplishments, but you also among them got a PhD. Is that accurate as a PhD? That that's that's true from a from a recognized university. And so on. Yeah. From yeah. a recognized university. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I did. Um, I have kind of accumulated a few uh, professions. So I, I trained, uh, first of all, as a nurse and um, then um, uh, and then trained as a teacher, you know, as a certified teacher in New Zealand and and then as a psychotherapist and, and kind of got hooked into NLP from from that point, really. Yeah, I do want to know how you made that transition, because there are some people amongst psychotherapists who would yeah. say, oh, no, not that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but so your doctorate is in what? It's in, it's in clinical hypnotherapy. So um, it is, uh, um, that's again, something that I wouldn't have studied by myself and to that extent. And I think it shaped my, uh, my future because it, in studying it at, at university, I, I kind of realized, okay, well, this is, <clears throat> this is not the kind of um, magic way of thinking about it that, that we usually uh, might have done in my NLP training. So, uh, so I think what I learned from, from university studies w was that uh, to be skeptical, really, about, um, for example, about memory. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> so, um, so I went from having the idea that with hypnosis, you could bring back people's memories somehow perfect to realizing that there's no such thing as, as memory in that sense. And, uh, and that hypnotherapy is at the best, um, evoking experiences. Uh, and we still have to work out what's real and what's not real. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> we still have to work that out. I like how you put that, you know, just as a, as an aside, I know this is about you, not about me, but I once was asked to do some hypnosis with a fellow named, um, Michio Kaku who is a mathematician, yes. oh, you, you know his work. Um, so there was a series done on, I think it was just called Science. I'm not sure this series actually, but um, my job was to hypnotize him, which I did. And, in, and you know, have him go back in his mind to childhood where he went into a school and saw the schoolroom and, and did things, various things there. And then they flew him out to California where he grew up and they, brought him to that school and he actually wow. said, yeah. So they said, how would you, how would you compare your, you know, hypnotic experience with this real experience? And, and as you say, there is a lot <laughs> missing. Um, the, the hypnotic experience was not the same and he didn't remember everything exactly the way it was because that doesn't actually exist. Our brains are always recreating things. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's, um, and, and of course, uh, not just in official hypnosis, but in the hypnosis of everyday life, because right. we know that from the research about 9-11, that uh, within a couple of years of 9-11, of the, the people um, in New York have a very different recall. There's, there's kind of like 60% of, of the facts that they remember didn't actually uh, feature in their first couple of days. So even with those kind of flashbulb memories, which are 
kind of vivid memories that people are convinced well this is really vivid what we're actually seeing with vivid memories is the importance of it to the amygdala in the brain and not actually the reality of it you know <laughs> right. which is something that you and i we again you as an nlp have crossed a, a threshold into <laughs> also being open to the idea of the havening techniques which some in yeah. the happy world embrace and some people in the NLP world are not yet embracing. Um, so it has a lot to do with with that and how the amygdala, you know, encodes memories. So tell me, how, how did you get into havening? Uh, well, I was inspired by my wife, Yulia, and she uh, she's a havening instructor. So uh, <laughs> so, uh, so that that's where I really uh, got in. And I was interested as well, of course, because from my nursing background, I've been from the start attempting to kind of link what we're doing in NLP into neuroscience. And, and so uh, one of the first things I looked at was how things like submodalities are actual places in the, in, in the sensory cortex. And over the last mm, 10 years, I suppose, as more and more research has kind of focused on the amygdala and the hippocampus in terms of um, memory storage and assessment uh, then i've i had started to look at that and i, I think what havening does is it again um, kind of provides us with some nice links into the real stuff that's going on in the brain um, and i had been saying for some time you know if we if we understand what's going on in the brain we should not only be able to confirm nlp techniques but we should be able to develop new techniques and i, I really think that's what havening has done as well yeah i agree with you so that's really nice and refreshing to to know and I, to hear you say and to know that you're on board with with us over here at the Haven Um And how did you get into NLP in the first place? If you're starting from psychotherapy, yeah. Well, I had some friends who went to an NLP training and uh, they came back and said, "Oh, it's a, you know, it's a, it's amazing. You just if you have an internal conflict, you put one part on one hand and one part on the other hand, they magically come together and everything's fixed." And I thought this complete nonsense you know just couldn't be true <laughs> pretty much like what NLP people think about uh, havening now actually right, and yeah. sometimes apparently so so I um, I had to I, I had to study it to to prove that it was wrong that's a kind of an obsession of mine is to sort of learn about what I'm critiquing and unfortunately the more I studied of NLP the more it seemed to work so then I had my next plan was actually to um, to integrate it into my work as a psychotherapist. So I thought, well, what I'll do is I'll do NLP practitioner training and that'll give me tools to use in my psychotherapy. And that lasted until the first person that very next week walked into my office with a phobia. And, 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 and suddenly I realized I could fix this in half an hour or I could see this guy once a week for the next half a year or something like that and make some money out of it. And I realized I couldn't live with myself anymore to do traditional psychotherapy and, and somehow incorporate this in. And um, so that was the end. <laughs> so, so is that completely true? I mean, you don't do psychotherapy at all? Well, I don't do uh, uh, what I would have called psychotherapy back then. No, okay. no. In fact, I, I look at that now and I, I feel kind of sad that um, so many people in that field who are well-intentioned uh, spend so much time going in circles. And I, I think the other thing is that uh, I learned to accept. And, you know, my, my wife, Yulia, has another interesting thing she says about this. She says, look, if you were going to refer someone in your family to a counsellor for help, would you want them to spend the next six months exploring all the kind of hidden meanings of this in their childhood and so on? Or would you just want them to get fixed? You know, and... And um, most most people, when they when they put it in personal terms, and I had had psychotherapists come to me by then as a as an NLP practitioner, and say, I, I don't want psychotherapy. I, I just want you to fix this. You know, I've got a I've got a sort of panic response that I have to this specific thing, and I don't want to know what was going on with my mum and my dad and all this sort of stuff. I just want to not have this panic response, and um, that idea of uh, outcome focus. Um, it was new to me as a psychotherapist and it required a bit of 
humility really accepting that not everyone wanted to play that whole game that i played in training as a psychotherapist <laughs> mm -hmm. it's interesting because you know i i have done both i haven't yeah. trained in psychotherapy i've you know taken classes and things i was in some supervisions but um <clears throat> never pursued it as a degree thing my, my i'm a musician um my degree is in music but um I got a lot of benefit out of psychotherapy. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I went out to therapists for years, a Jungian psychologist, and it was yeah. fascinating stuff. And I benefited a great deal. And what I really particularly loved was that once I unearthed something in psychotherapy that I wouldn't have done, I don't think, in any sort of NLP or hypnosis sort of setting, right. when I unearthed something from there, then I could take it and do something with it using hypnosis using nlp that sort yep. of thing. yeah yeah i think uh i think psychotherapy has there are a number of things that happen in psychotherapy that are useful they're not the same things that we kind of focus on most of all in nlp often so um so one of them is um uh that psychotherapy is a, a friendship you know like it's a relationship <laughs> and um and I'd like to think that the people I train in NLP create that kind of relationship as well, but I don't think that's always so. And uh, I think Richard Bandler has fairly proudly said that his aim is not to have a relationship with the client, you know, it's to, it's to get them to do stuff on their own, of course. Um, and the second thing I think is really valuable is that it does, um, it kind of provides some wider frames for like what, what's going on in your, in your life. And so th those things, those things are really useful. They're not necessarily what people think they're going to get when they first come into psychotherapy. Usually they do have specific things they want to fix and uh, like anxiety, depression, something like that. Sure. So, so I, I definitely, I, I learned some useful things for myself from that. And one of my interests has been to think, how can we, how can we do that more succinctly as well? You know, like how can we, um, how can we create a, a good relationship with our clients uh, rather than be technicians? And how can we also uh, create, um, help people to, to develop an understanding that goes beyond the specifics of, I want to fix this thing or that thing. That's part of my interest, I must say, in, in um, NLP and spirituality as well. I think that's, um, that's part of answering that kind of question. Wow, very interesting. It sounds similar to what I was discussing the other day with um, Connie Ray Andreas. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I was just saying she's she's very much interested in that in her wellness process. Yeah. These days is all heading in that direction. Um, and I'd be happy to talk to you more about that. But I do want to just go back a little bit to what we were just talking about. And um, um, the idea that not only is there a relationship in therapy where there's you know actually a, a you know, friendship relationship sort of thing yeah. that takes place but it's not just focused on one and done you know kind of thing yeah. one of the things yeah. i talk about with milton erickson is he he was a psychiatrist he would see people for week after week for years there was never the pressure of i'm gonna fix you now and then you're gonna yeah. go home and be fine um there's never yeah. I mean, he yeah. knew that, but it was never like that. It was never the point to the thing. So yeah. if, when you do it, how does it work for you? Are you, you go ahead. Yeah, well, I, I think there's a place for both those things. And um, as I say, if someone comes in and they just want a phobia fix, then I, I think we they have a right to ask for that. And uh, and when people come in, it's like when, when someone does NLP training with me, they, they want the whole package they they want to understand the background of it all as well and i think that's true for some clients as well and and um i would call it coaching now because we're focused on uh their ability to do things rather than on the problems um but i think but i think making some kind of arrangement that is a, a coaching package uh, so that they can explore that in an ongoing way i think that's important you know the other thing that milton erickson did as part of that long-term process was that he is really coaching. He would, 
he was strategic. He would give people things to do, of course. And a lot of the stories we hear about him is not actually what he did in a session, but what happened as a result of him giving people something to do in their life and then checking the next week, did they really do it and what happened? And um, that, I think coaching has brought that back into NLP, the, the fact that um, in coaching and business, people expect um, that they will do things in the real world and then discuss those in, in therapy or in, in coaching. I think that's um, mm -hmm. it's been valuable to us all. Yeah. yeah, fantastic. So tell me now about spirituality. How does that fit in? Okay, well, uh, well, I, you know, I'm, I, I'm friends with Connie Ray and, and uh, uh, maybe I wouldn't state things quite as strongly as she does where she says, you know, this is the only, the only question that needs answering. I have been known to say that. Uh, I think that uh, I think that spirituality is fundamental. It's not a separate thing. It's fundamental to being human, and uh, so our ability to uh, to use NLP as we explore it, I, I think, provides a new path for people who are interested in um, deepening their sense of being human, deepening their connection to everything that is. So, uh, so Yulia and I actually run a, a seven-day training, um, which is NLP and spirituality, and, and that includes some traditional Chinese exercise training, which we're instructors of, and, and uh, meditation uh, uh, kind of incorporated in, into that with an NLP presuppositional background. So we're sort of approaching it from an NLP attitude, um, I think probably doing quite a lot of things that people don't usually do on NLP training. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's. I, I mean, I think that's really uh, um, a lot of what people seek, as you're saying, when they when they go for psychotherapy is uh, is to understand life more fundamentally and to uh, to find happiness. And I, I think that that doesn't sound much like spirituality at first, but I, I think that really has been. Uh, what spirituality has been about all this time. It's kind of like we can achieve all sorts of things, but the only thing that really matters is something that can't be achieved because um, you can't steal happiness. You, you, can't, you can't hold it. It's when, it's, it's when you're actually delighting in what is that it is there. Yeah. So you can't achieve happiness because it's not a thing. It's that's a it. process. It's a... That's it. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> right. So um, I'm also curious about you because you often are more aware and astutely um, conversant in American politics than I am. And, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'm curious about it. What do you do? What are you sticking your nose in our business for? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I guess I've been sticking my nose this year, especially in Russia's business as well. And, um, you know, I have, I have a family, I have a grandson who uh, has, has um, two other cultural backgrounds. So he, he is um, both New Zealander and, and Japanese, and he has grown up in French milieu. So he, he actually is trilingual. And um, he's at university now, but I really have a sense of, uh, you know, this is all of our future. Um, you say, and, sorry, sorry, sorry. You have a yeah. grandchild who's at university now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How old are you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm in my late 60s, so, so, um, <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> so my, um, you know, I, I sort of feel like all of us collectively, we, we're, we're trying to work out how to, how to survive as, as humanity right now. And I think America is, is clearly pivotal in that and um, endeavor for humanity to survive and, and, and Russia is this year as well. And uh, so, uh, so yeah, I, I, I can't see it. I, I've, I know I've, I've written about and I teach actually a course on uh, NLP and activism. So I, I do that with ecology groups and with peace groups here in New Zealand and overseas. And uh, so one, you know, one of my interests is to get people more involved in uh, creating a planet that will s survive and, um, and 
and caring for life in, in general. You know, I think that's um, a larger part of, of, of what I want to do on the planet. That's so cool. So you basically, you get interested in something, you study it, and then you teach a course in it. That's exactly right. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm just completing a degree at present in archaeology. And uh, so that's, that's another thing that I'm, I'm, you know, I figure as a psychotherapist, I was always digging up the past, so I might as well, you know, do it honestly, instead of just figuratively. So I, I, um, I, I, I think as well that that's part of my interest in the, the big picture, the big story of, of humanity. And uh, I think uh, it's, it's always something people believe that they're at a, a crossroads in history. I think it's, it's possible that the survival of this planet depends on what, what we're doing right now. And, and uh, uh, that NLP has something important to contribute to that in terms of understanding how people change, how we influence each other um and uh having a systems view of of what's happening in the world a systems view yeah so that uh what we do is is connected to to everything else so so that uh rather than thinking that we can uh, help people achieve something just by themselves and that that's that's all we need to do uh to to realize that actually we we can only achieve things if the planet survives and you know part of that is to the research from psychology that people like richard weissman who i know has criticized nlp but i i do love this research as well um, he's a mainstream psychology researcher and he points out that when people achieve goals the small thing the very small part of nlp that really is what business people often think of it as nlp when people achieve goals they almost always when they're highly successful, they have some sense of how this relates to the larger picture. So he calls it the Apollo effect. And um, he's, he says, so what an enormous thing America, for example, managed to achieve uh, with the first moon landings uh, because they thought they were doing it for all humanity, you know, because the, the people involved thought they were doing it for humanity. And um, I, I'm interested in how to harness and, and uh, um, generate that kind of energy yeah uh, so you just went from the microcosm to the macrocosm really quickly there um so when when they achieve a small thing if it has that apollo effect like i'm doing it might be small but i'm doing it for humanity yeah then it's yeah. then it gives me that yeah and you know i think that's fundamental to how milton erickson did things as well he mm. uh, for himself and for his clients he he would never be sort of thinking how um, how can you have a goal that you achieve so much as how can you have a sense that you are important in the world mm. and uh, stories like the the African Violet Queen uh, you know I think they kind of epitomise that that attitude of um, taking an everyday human being and showing them that they're not just everyday they uh, can be something extraordinary and his own life absolutely epitomises that yeah. Uh. By the way, are you wearing a purple shirt? Is that um, just my? <laughs> no, that's, that's, I think that's just Zoom. It's, it's kind of more blue, I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> um, if, would you just tell the African violet story? Real sure, quick? that's um, that there's one or two visitors to our. Yeah, may not have heard that. Um, so uh, Milton Erickson, as a medical doctor, he had a he had a friend, also a medical doctor, who asked him if he would visit. Uh, um, his elderly mother, who was living in Milwaukee, and uh, uh, he was worried that she was getting depressed and, and uh, she was living by herself. So, so Milton went in and as happened in those days, uh, she invited him in for a cup of tea and so on. And uh, she, he asked her to show him around the house. And what he saw was that the house was a kind of set in time, you know, th things were getting dusty and the, the curtains were pulled across the windows and so on and uh it looked like a place where someone would be depressed and and um, in fact there was only one room where there was light and that was a, a sunroom where there was a little african violet growing and when he talked with her about her contact with other people uh, which milton was always aware of not just the internal part of depression but what happens in your relationships and she uh, she explained that she used to go to church but she didn't now she kept up reading the news letter and and so she knew who'd been born and died and so on but that was really that was really all 
but her Christianity was important to her. So he, he utilized all those things together and he recommended to her, well, you know, nowadays people don't get much celebration of life events like births and, and uh, weddings and, and so on. And wouldn't it be lovely if you took cuttings off that African violet, for example, and, and you uh, took along a cutting to each family who um, had some significant event like that as a, as a kind of a symbolic gift. And so uh, Milton used to keep the newspaper cutting from 20 years later when this elderly woman uh, passed on. And um, the, the front page of the Milwaukee newspaper said, African Violet Queen dies and thousands attend her funeral. And it's a very, very inspiring story of how to um, deal with, well, depression, we would say from a traditional point of view, but how to help one human being who had no contact almost to use what little contact she had to, to do something extraordinary. Yeah. It's a, such a beautiful story and very illustrative of Erickson's non-hypnotic work. Yeah. You know, a yeah. lot of people who, who think of Milton Erickson think, oh, yeah, he's a great hypnotist. But yeah. a lot of his work had no hypnosis per se. Yeah. It's, 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 yeah. You know, Jeff Sig, I remember Jeff saying to me one time that, he felt sad that people knew so much about Milton Erickson as a therapist and, and so little about him as a human being. And that it was as a human being that he most of all excelled. Mm. And um, yeah. I think in that story, would you really say he was working as a psychiatrist or was he, you know, he, I mean, he, he was one human being to another human being. He, he mm. wasn't even hired to, to treat this woman in some way. He was simply, being a human being who knew how to inspire someone else. That's beautiful. Cool. So let me ask you about this. The um, point, the reason we're together, the reason I finally get to talk to you is because of a horrible thing that has happened. You know, it's like, okay, silver lining. Um, but a horrible thing happened. Um, Jerry Seavey fell down a flight of stairs and, and had a terrible response to this. And, and uh, brain bleeding for hours because he wasn't yeah. given proper treatment. He was just, he's an old man. You just sit him up in the waiting room. He'll be fine. Um, yeah. So he got a lot of brain challenges, let's just say. Um, and then, of course, Marilyn, I'm sorry, Mary Lou, his wife, um, really kind of saved him. You know, she called the doctor and said, get him a CT scan now, you know, and made yeah. it happen made him get treatment but um that treatment only went so far and all the now extensive work that he's going to have to be doing for the next year or so um to get back to a semblance of what he was um is all being paid for out of pocket by yeah. Mary Lucy so um we're doing this in an effort to raise some money for them so people will go to the GoFundMe site and, and donate, hopefully, lots and lots of money to them so she can, um, you know, have a little breathing space. And I'm just curious for you, why are, why are you here? Do you, do you know them? I mean, you're from New Zealand. I mean, what, what, yeah. uh, <laughs> okay. yeah. sticking your nose in our business again, one more time. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, well, firstly, um, I think I think that is a really good thing for us to do in the NLP community and uh, uh, lots of my progress in the NLP community has been because someone did something like that for me, you know, uh, uh, like how I met Stephen Connery and Andreas was I was going to a training near where they live, it was a training in Denver and, and, uh, and I contacted them and uh, Steve said, well, you know, we're, we're sort of brothers because, you know, we're, we're NLP trainers, so come over and stay with us. And, and um, then he connected me up with all sorts of people around the world as, as well. And that was really significant in my career. And so, uh, so I, th I think that's both, that's essential to, to creating this kind of uh, therapeutic and uh, uh, supportive environment for the world. That, that's central to what NLP is about. And I also do uh, find it kind of shocking 
from a New Zealand point of view to, to look at what healthcare is like in, in the wealthiest country in the world, you know, in, in America. And um, uh, from over here, gee, that's heartbreaking. You know, I mean, not, not just what happened to this individual, but to see so many people in, in a country with such enormous wealth and um, um, it being entirely up to them. Because I know that had that even had that happened, to me, and, and uh, of course, I, I hope not, <laughs> but had it happened to me, all of that's covered um, by the community that, that I live in. I know that's true through most of the world. That, that's a real tragedy. That's, <laughs> it's it's mind-boggling, honestly. Yeah. And, you know, it's great that we can do this, and we shouldn't have to, you know, <laughs> just should be covered, absolutely. Um, and I'm really grateful for you to to be doing this for them for us it's 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 lovely for you to, to step in and it's great for me to, to meet you and talk to you um when it comes to community you said nlp is about community nlp is about making the world a better place i don't think that's true for a lot of people people think of it <laughs> yeah. as I mean, if you look at wikipedia nlp yeah. is like pseudoscience and it gets all this bad press and there's about you know manipulation and sales and you know for a lot of people nlp is about you know seduction or any number of weird uses for it um how do you see this world community yeah so i i understand that too that part of the attraction to 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 many people who get involved in nlp and you know i I'm an NLP trainer, so I come across people who come into my trainings for all sorts of reasons. Um, part of the attraction is that, and also um, the history of NLP has uh, quite a lot of examples of of uh, core developers of NLP who are, are kind of fighting for um, their place in history personally, you know, and and. Um, and so, and that doesn't that doesn't uh, look good from outside either. You know the the sort of war between Bandler and Grinder, or um, um, between um, Frank Pusalik and and uh, and uh, other people in the community for who started it and you know who's who's the most important and and so on. Uh, so there is there is that, and we happen to have with NLP, I believe, stumbled upon a lot of really really useful things that gradually neuroscience is, is um, revealing the base of. Um, and those things have a momentum of their own. You know, I, th I think that people like Robert Dilts have understood this from the start, that um, NLP can be about making the world a better place. And so my own interest is to sort of find people like that around the world who are, who are, really, <clears throat> who are really interested in using this as a as a new way of doing something precious for humanity. And one of the things I'm really aware of, you know, when you ask about my age is, uh, and perhaps this is this historical perspective as well, but we only have a certain amount of time here, you know, like um, there's no point in building an empire for ourselves individually. Um, we're only here for one lifetime and at a time. <laughs> and so whatever. So, oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, so I, um, I really think what, what makes it most exciting is to be part of something larger. One of the things that happened with Milton Erickson that people often forget is that during his lifetime, he was much less well known than, of course, he has been since his death. And that was not accidental. He planned for the momentum to continue and build after his death. So he essentially selflessly planned how would things happen after his death, who would be in charge of the um, Milton Erickson Foundation who would uh, promote his his work and he looked for people who would do that ethically and who would um, who would be able to make a difference in, in the psychotherapy community hmm. so he often talked to people about what will happen in 30 years time what will happen when I'm I'm gone and things like that and um, yeah I, I admire that and I, I think there's that that trend through the development of NLP as well Wow, it's really interesting. It's interesting. I remember, um, I don't know if this is true, um, but I heard a story by my one of my teachers, Dave Dobson. 
he said that Milton Erickson said about Bandler and Gundry said, you know, those boys, they think they got me in a nutshell. He said, well, yeah. they may have the shell, but they ain't got the nut. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, I mean, that's, that's so true. Uh, in the sense that um, Milton Erickson was so much more than the, the language patterns that were modeled from him or um, any of those, any of those things. In NLP, it's become traditional to say, well, NLP was developed by modeling band, uh, by modeling Satir and, and Pearls and uh, Erickson. Of course, if that was true, then somewhere we would have um, people's modeling of their values and, and their uh, meta programs and um, mm. their sense of purpose in life, their sense of mission. And, and we don't have that really very clearly in, in the early work anyway. And I think for, for Milton Erickson that the nut was very important. I've heard that description before, I think. And, and, um, and uh, <laughs> so I, uh, you know, I, th I think that um, none of what Milton Erickson achieved would, would have been possible if he only had the Milton model, for example, or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Now, for me, it's, it's uh, my, my analogy is, is music. You know, I can, I can get a piece of music and I can play the notes the way that it's written on the page or listening to it the way somebody else played it. But, you know, it's not like music yet. It's just yeah. notes. And it's yeah. like it's coming from the inside. You know, where's, what's the yeah. saying? What's the message? What's the emotion behind it that gets communicated? That is what's really actually important. Yeah. Um, and the music is just a vehicle for so the, yeah. the tools, the skills, the the meta model, the Milton model, those you know, just yeah. just tools. You know, yeah. how how do you use them? Who's the guy behind the plow or whatever? Absolutely, yeah. That's um, so. That's that's kind of like linking back into this idea of what is there from psychotherapy that we can take out and, and make useful, and um, um, and it being more than than just uh, you can achieve this one thing by doing this one process kind of thing. So let me ask you a question. If somebody does, you, you talked before about somebody comes in and says, I just want to fix yeah. this phobia. And you say, okay, well, let's fix the phobia. Thank you for coming in. You know, please you know, yeah. like me on Facebook or whatever. Um, what if a part of you thinks that's like, well, this person, you know, yeah, they need to fix that phobia, but there's more going on here that they need a little spirituality, you know, something. <laughs> Look, I always think that. But then, <laughs> so, but then part of, part, of, uh, part of, of spirituality for me is a sense of spiritual autonomy. <laughs> it's a sense of, um, it's really, uh, they, they actually have to choose that for it to mean anything. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's really true. And, and I think that the way that I, um, the, the way that I am as a human being in that interaction, as I help them do what they want to do, should in itself speak of spirituality, you know, should in itself um, be evidence. I, I really think that's true that when I'm, for example, when I'm running an NLP practitioner training, I just run an NLP practitioner training. But I think that people actually come to those trainings and they and they enjoy those trainings because they meet me as a human being. Mm -hmm. And um, so so I don't try and do a whole lot of other things on that training or or trick them into carrying on and doing endless things with me. You don't um, trick them into carrying on and doing endless things with you? What kind no. of man are you? I thought you said you're an NLP trainer. What is the matter? <laughs> and I, and I, you know, I, I explain that to them as well. That often they come to the training and they're thinking, you know, like, how can I get my family to understand this? How can I get my friends to understand this? And I tell them, like, from my experience, it's what you are as a as a human being, what you are as a model, is is the, the most persuasive thing that that you have, and that hassling the people that you live with you should join NLP as well or something uh, that is not going to happen. That's not going to work. You know, I really, that's really true. Like people who come to my training as a result of someone else, they tend to say, look, I, I knew this person before he came to your training and I knew him after he was at your training and um, NLP really changed him. Mm 
-hmm. and, that, and that was true for me as well. I remember when one of my son's friends uh, was around at our place one time and he said, you know, you're a nicer guy since you've been doing this NLP stuff. You should keep mm -hmm. doing that. And that was, you know, that I, you couldn't get better feedback than that. You know, it's just from um, a teenage friend of my son, you know, so. <laughs> so interesting. Wow. I wish that were true for no matter who was teaching NLP, because I, I don't know if that's always the case. That it just, you know, NLP itself is going to make you a better person. That's just like, you know, those tools, you can use them in lots of different ways. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> so, yes. Tell me a little bit about your life outside of NLP. Do you um, like stories telling do you like jokes do you do stand-up comedy do you uh, are you a painter do you um well i think probably the 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 most um non-nlp it's very hard to find something that's outside of nlp you know the, the most non-nlp thing that i'm i'm really involved in probably is archaeology you know so uh so we have a um a second sort of home essentially on on cyprus and uh um that is a place where i've done uh the practical part of my archaeology degree uh -huh. and i you know I, I love that it's um it's got no immediate benefit and uh, that's something enjoyable about it and yet it's it's um linkedin for me it's linkedin in the background to reminding me all the time we are part of a big story and uh, uh -huh. human beings have been on this planet for a long long time we've been trying to do the same things like create a life that is uh, enjoyable and um, that brings us together as a community, all those sorts of things. We've been trying to do that for a long, long time. And I'm, I'm very interested in learning other ways, like looking at Cyprus, for example. Cyprus was the center of the goddess religion of, of the cult of Aphrodite. And um, so uh, that provides an interesting frame because it reminds us that uh, we haven't always thought of spirituality as being a guy's thing either we you know this is this is just a particular time in history when we think of things this way and um we may be able to learn some things from other ways of of thinking that people have had at other times in history or history is it yes <laughs> yeah. um well so that's but why 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 get a degree you're late 60s why why work for a degree in <laughs> Well, what I found with the with the training in hypnotherapy, you see, was that um, the expertise that those people have in the university system, for, for all I might critique it or something, that expertise is really, it provides something from outside. And otherwise, I would go into my narrow little worldview and uh, I, I would I would be fascinated by things probably that were um, fascinating rather than real. So you know, like uh, one of the things that uh, the pandemic really made very clear for me was the importance of, uh, of actually reality testing our ideas. And uh, so I, I really went back after that over my own um, history and, and looked at the extent to which I had also been caught up in conspiracy theories over time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I, I attempted to um, reframe NLP as, as being, in a sense, about cognitive clarity, about utilizing the biases that we have and also learning about them, just like the Milton model, meta model kind of thing, um, dichotomy. So um, utilizing the biases like Milton Erickson would do and also unpacking those biases uh, like Virginia Satir would do. And I, I really think that that's part of our mission as NLP practitioners as well and that we have kind of failed that. You know, John Grinder said early on in the NLP that he thought of NLP as a bullshit detection system. Mm. And I think it's mostly been a bullshit generating system. And um, the pandemic reminded me, like, if we just go on generating bullshit and saying any idea is as good as any other, and, you know, since the map's not the territory, who cares what map we have, then actually uh, the world could sink. <laughs> so, so we actually do need to work out how does this pan out in, in um, reality for us and for other people. So, um, yeah, so, so that's, that's been one of my passions is unpacking for my, for myself, 
what parts of my belief system, even in the NLP, were, were just conspiracy theory nonsense. <laughs> so if NLP is not that bullshit detector, then what, what is? How do, you, how do you make that determination? Well, uh, I th think that neuroscience is, is kind of helping. Let, let me give you a concrete little example. So um, on Mars, uh, there, there's a kind of a, a mountain on the planet Mars that in an early photo, you know, I'm sure you've seen this photo, an early photo looks like a human face. Oh, yeah. Looking yeah, yeah. Up. Totally fascinated me at the time, you know, I bought a book on it even, you know, like it just, wow, look at that and pyramids nearby maybe and, you know, and <laughs> this is as silly as the idea that there are canals on Mars, you know, I mean, it, it's just um, the, the reason why it happens is because our brain is preset to look for faces sure. and thank goodness we don't want to stop that. I mean, that, that's how come babies find their mum and all the chaos around them and they orient always towards faces. So we are looking for faces everywhere, uh, but we shouldn't be fooled into thinking that, that somehow this is reality. You know, that, uh, uh, this is just a waste of a waste of time. And I think, in, metaphorically, that's that's what's happening. We look for hidden patterns because it's good to look for hidden patterns. But we need to know that our brain is constantly inventing patterns, and most of them are just nonsense. So. Uh, um, so I think in the pandemic, people uh, managed to invent all sorts of interesting theories about what people like me as a nurse were, were doing around the world. And it's actually quite dangerous, the idea that uh, there's this sort of secret plot by doctors and nurses to fake COVID numbers and there really is no COVID and all this sort of thing. Um, but with a little bit of humility, I, I come to realize that I too have always uh, been susceptible to those things because that's that's what it is to be human. We have all sorts of biases built in. Yeah, very cool. Nice. Good to know. Yeah, I, I, I'm aware of that. I've, I've seen um, Jesus's face on a slice of toast and that's yeah. really, really, I worshipped it for a while, but then I got hungry, so I ate it. <laughs> but yeah, it's important to keep the practical. I mean, it's toast, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, no, but it's really true. We do look for patterns. That's why we see, um, you know, constellations in the stars and, you know, we see yeah. these things and we yeah. see, we, we look for patterns and if you look for it hard enough, you, you'll find it. Um, yeah. So it's really, really good to know. And I'm, I'm again, very happy to hear you be saying that. Um, that's good to know. Still, why the degree? Why do you need a degree in archeology? span <laughs> I, I don't need it I guess um, um, it it does it does help help me mm, get other people's opinions about it though and, and keep me away from what I call pseudo archaeology you know so uh, from um, <laughs> I'm, I'm hesitant to you know like I'm I'm, I'm sure that you, you know there's a just a, a Netflix series just been put out with a whole lot of archaeological claims that don't look to me from my learning to be very convincingly archaeological at all and and uh, so again it's immensely popular um, but I don't think it's long term helpful so yes I I liked the idea of of getting that. Uh, um, kind of professional input into what I was doing as well. Okay. And I also like hacking into that community. So uh, so I do research as part of this last part of my degree. And um, and it, it's a, actually, I know it sounds trivial, but it's, a, it's an opportunity to contribute to that field as well, you know, to, uh, so my, my interest is in combining these two things, of course. So, you know, I'm wanting to do research on what was going on in the minds of the people in these ancient uh, rituals in Cyprus, so in these ancient um, goddess rituals, mm -hmm. uh, what kind of psychoactive substances were they using and, and how does that relate to what we're trying to do in NLP and hypnosis nowadays? Fascinating. No, it's, it's, it's really truly fascinating stuff. It's just, you know, a few years ago, I was looking at uh, pursuing a degree, a PhD in um, and what do they call it? Depth psychology, mostly Jungian psychology. And I found a, a place that had this really fascinating program that I thought would be perfect. And so when I, I went to sign up for it, um, they said it's one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars. I thought, well, that's, that's not too yeah. bad. 
And then, uh, then I said, no, 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 no. It's 150,000. A, a term, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Crap. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that is true. And, and that was a, an issue for me as well. I mean, I, I'm doing my degree with Leicester University in, in Britain. And um, because they have exactly what I wanted, you know, in terms of um, places like Cyprus, um, but that was a, a decision to spend a lot of money on that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, for me, I was like, I uh, just, uh, yeah, I can read the books, I can do the, do the research, <laughs> but I don't need to, need to spend that. I got it. Yeah, it's a lot. It's it's unfortunate that you know when I, when I graduated college, the five five year four year year degree, I had had virtually no student debt whatsoever. Um, you know, it was amazing. Yeah. Nowadays, kids are you know like really strapped, and at least again, maybe that's America, but it's certainly yeah. true here. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, boy. Yeah. Well, I mean, my my grandson pays some money, but yeah, it's not it's not comparable to the American situation. Yeah. Amazing. Well, okay. I'm going to let you go. Thank you for this time. Hey, just real quick. Um, if you had anything to say to people who are thinking about contributing to the GoFundMe site for Mary Lou and Jerry, Siegel, what, what might you say? I would, I would say that it's not just to help one individual, but to help us as a community as well. You know, I mean, I think that that's, um, uh, it's a really inspiring thing that you're doing not just person to person, but uh, as, as part of this bigger community of, of NLP. And that's, that's very precious. And if we, uh, if we don't look after ourselves, then we're not being the model that we want to be for the world. So yeah, beautiful. And you know, I was thinking about before when you said, you know, the, the bullshit detector and um, the, the real stuff, what's what's real, this is real. These guys are, yeah, yeah. you had a brain bleed and you know, where yeah. the brain come back, it's like, to quite the way that it was because some of it is yeah. just basically died you know the parts of his brain are not yeah. there functional anymore so you know it's amazing how plastic the brain can be and find different neural pathways to do certain things but it's a long road he's got ahead of yeah. him and we so, live in the real world that's yeah. right yeah. and so we can as much as we can help out i think it'd be humanly nice to do that. absolutely thank you so much for organizing this yeah. Okay, my pleasure. Thanks for being here and contributing. And I hope to talk to you again. I'd like you to be on my podcast. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. That's great. That a yes? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds, yeah, that sounds good. That sounds Very interesting. Good. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Thank you, Richard. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. This has been the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. Thank you for being here. It's a pleasure seeing you again. Hope to see you again real soon. Come back next week when we have another gripping and exciting episode of the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. And if you want to, you can find out more about us, each and every one of us, at EssentialCoachingSkills.com. Thanks.